only six new episodes left before Voyager's series finale. Step aside. Has Voyager entered a parallel universe? Nice mustache. What seems to be the trouble, one of three? It hurts when I do this. Well, then don't do it. <laughs> An all-new Voyager. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me on the Starship Vortex are... Adam Bowen. And Emily Bowen-Marler. Welcome to Strange New Takes. This week we're starting a new recap series. One that deals with episodes of Star Trek that originate on the holodeck. Holodeck adventures. There's quite a few of them. Today we're going to recap the episode Author Author from Star Trek Voyager. Uh, so remember to follow us on social media. That's at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. And also give us a five-star rating on that newly renamed Apple podcast. And by newly re- renamed, I think that happened a while back. So <laughs> not new anymore. It's just newly renamed on our podcast because we kept yeah. saying the wrong thing for a while. <laughs> um, and just so you know, there's going to be spoilers. So if you haven't seen this 20-year-old episode and you don't want to be spoiled, go watch it. It's a fun one. Then come back and listen to our take on it. All right. Well, again, we're talking about Author, Author, which is the 20th episode of the seventh season of Star Trek Voyager. It aired on 18th April 2001. Delta is by Phyllis Strong and Mike Sussman. The story is by Brandon Braga. It's directed by David Livingston. And it is the 600th live-action episode of Voyager ever uh, Star Trek. Film. Of Star Trek. Star not, Trek. Not Voyager. <laughs> Can you tell I haven't had a lot of sleep? <laughs> Voyager! 600! Uh. That's why Voyager is the best one, because there's 600 episodes of Voyager alone. <laughs> yeah, just, just because of the like law of like averages, they have some good ones just because of that. When you make 600 episodes, something has to be good. <laughs> that archive of unaired episodes is amazing. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine if there's a bell curve and threshold isn't at the like worst end of it? <laughs> okay. Hey. Oh no. <laughs> right. We always start these episodes with our strange new takes. So who's got a strange new take for me, crew? Yeah, uh so my strange new take uh is I don't know. I think I need to go take a look at my chickens and and see what's what's going on with them. Their their tails look a little bit on the ratty side, so I'm suspecting that there's some sort of uh, lice thing happening. So I'm gonna have some fun uh, uh, treatment programs. I'm gonna be uh, putting them through, and then uh, we'll we'll figure out how to remediate that. Uh, for the episode, though, uh, I believe that the pitch for this one was uh, the writers had just finished watching. Um, uh, measure of a man and they said you know what that was a great episode what if we did that episode but much worse uh and uh yeah that's that's how that's how they created this one. Oh, i see the sides are starting to form right now <laughs> oh goodness well my strange new take um so sorry, dear listeners, that you have to listen to me talk about this so much but i live in the hottest of hot spots right now in Springfield, Missouri, which is one of the major coronavirus hotspots in our country because of the Delta variant. We now have more critical care patients in the hospital than we did at the peak in January. So please wear your masks and get vaccinated. And if you don't want to get vaccinated, wear your masks because we don't want to have like the... I don't know what, I don't know my Greek alphabet, the Epsilon variant, because y'all won't do the things that you need to do to mitigate this uh, pandemic that is mutating rapidly across this country. So anyway, that's what's going on here in my neck of the woods. My strange new take for the episode is that it is really like, um, the doctor, for as much as he has advanced and um, 
and strengthened his program, he sure is pretty obtuse when it comes to understanding how um, people are going to feel <laughs> about things. Like, anyway, I mean, I caught on immediately. I was like, oh, oh, this isn't going to go over well. Granted, I've seen this episode a bunch of times, right? But, you know, it's just immediately I'm like, oh, yeah, they're not they're not going to like this. Um, and he just doesn't understand why, why they don't like it. <laughs> so... The, the doctor's not well known for his bedside manner, and that has been amplified uh, in all of his exploits. <laughs> so um, I am going to pinch my, or I'm going to mine my recent experiences for my strange new take, which is that tiny planes suck. I feel mm -hmm. like when I was growing up, every plane that I got onto was Boeing 737. It was like big seats, you know. I, and I'm not like the a mega tall person. I'm just six feet tall, okay? Which is, for this country, it's pretty average uh, for men. And I feel, though, like at some point in the last 15 years, these stupid Embraer, like, commuter jets have started, like, proliferating. They're having sex all over the place and making more <laughs> little commuter jets. And this was a flight from Newark to Minneapolis. It is not a short haul, okay? Like, all right, fine. You want to go from Iowa City to Cedar Rapids and you need a little commuter jet? Great, go for it. But if I'm flying from Newark, one of the largest hubs of United Airlines, to Minneapolis, again, one of uh, a large hub, not like the biggest for United, but still, it's a pretty big airport. You should be giving me like a 737 or an A340 or whatever, you know, uh, where I don't feel like literally, and this might get into slightly TMI territory, I had to like bend my knees at a 40 degree angle to be able to urinate, okay, uh, standing up. <laughs> And that is uncomfortable. Uh, you know, I, I I am not someone who has had to do so like that sort of position since growing up. Maybe if I had to, I'd be great. Like, hey, Notch, you're going to grow up on an Embraer commuter jet now. And because of that, you're going to be great at this stuff. That is not my, my existence. So anyway, tiny planes suck. That's my strange new take. And we need fewer of them. Uh, moving on, moving on. Uh, I had forgotten how much I loved this episode when I first watched it. I've watched it maybe once in the last, like, 15 years. And I used to love it and watch it a lot as a kid. And I just... The Doctor is such a... He, Robert Picardo owns him so much that it's, it's, it's wonderful to see him in his element. And I don't know. The comedy here is just hilarious. Uh, and and I, I love it. But we'll, we'll get more into that in a second. Let's jump into in-depth episode discussion. Here's a summary. The Doctor completes work on a hollow novel that depicts the crew of Voyager in rather unflattering roles as they abuse and scorn the emergency medical hologram. When the hollow novel is published without his permission, the issue of the Doctor's legal rights is brought into question. And also, so this is the summary and memory alpha so far. And then they have five more words. Seven reconnects with our aunt. Full stop. And... I don't know why that was tacked on to the end because there are other more poignant <laughs> uh, connections like Torres and her dad, for example. Yeah. But it's just like, Seven reconnects with her aunt. Okay. <laughs> anyway, moving on from the summary. This episode, I think the maybe the best way to discuss it is through the different conversations that occur because I think those are kind of the pivoting points is the pace of this episode is so frenetic that I feel like every single scene has... A different thing that happens so I'm going to take us through some of those and the initial start is basically the doctor we, we find out that Pathfinder is going to allow Voyager to uh, talk to Earth for a few minutes every day so that sets up the B plot of these families having three minute long conversations and then we also see the doctor having a conversation with his publisher so those are the kind of the initial teaser setup so those are, this moves past the actual teaser this is kind of setting up the rest of the episode yeah and i uh it's 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 weird so i i, I know that I, I came in with like the the hate train immediately on this episode <laughs> but uh, i i i like a lot of the aspects of this episode it's just that there we'll, we'll get to it at a certain point where <laughs> the measure there's of the one, man part <laughs> what, one thing that in well i guess there's two things in particular that are just like just awful <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I I like this setup, and it's a uh, it's it's nice to have a um, I don't know I I like the idea that we're 
like it's the it's the final season we need to like we're actually we're going to start feeling like actually we are going to get home and uh, i just like the connection opportunities that we're getting for for the for the characters so like just in terms of placement in the timeline of voyager i really like this episode kind of stepping outside of the bounds and thinking about like oh what's the greater arc of voyager itself uh and uh i i, I don't know it's i i like that about this episode yeah, it's surprising how much this episode references things that have already happened on Voyager. In mm-hmm. not necessarily like hardcore in your face ways. I mean the whole setup of Pathfinder, if you haven't watched the episode Pathfinder, you won't know what's happening. <laughs> Which is that and also I guess we should state the context real quick. Voyager's lost in the Delta Quadrant if you haven't read most basic things about that show, but like they've by this point in the seventh season which is we're coming up i think we're six episodes from the end or something like that they've re-established connections to earth and the pathfinder project led by reg barkley and sponsored by this admiral who's in the episode played by richard hurd um is is the reason that that connection exists so well is it admiral paris isn't it admiral isn't it tom's dad is it Tom's yeah, dad? It's, yeah, it's yeah, Tom's I dad. Think so. Okay. so not okay. just random admiral that has a vested interest in Voyager coming home. It's not one of those guys who shows up in some weird variation of the TNG outfit for like one episode and then disappears. <laughs> yeah. and which is the reason that the like memory alpha admiral's outfit section is like 30 pages long. They're like, <laughs> we have a new admiral. Someone get off the gold trim and get some buttons from like the Klingon outfits. We're going to change this up. They, they should have just put a ca- casting call of, we need a five foot eight admiral who weighs 158 pounds and <laughs> fits, fits exactly in this specific uniform. We don't feel exactly. like making a new one. <laughs> admiral, admiral Paris is actually just a, uh, Lieutenant Marseille, he's like Paris with a mustache looking <laughs> old makeup. I think you totally just described my husband, Adam, actually. <laughs> that was a casting call for him. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, let's let's so, so we get pretty quickly into the hollow novel itself, which we experience hey. yeah. I was going to say the best part is persons with vascular disorders should consult a physician before running this program. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah that, that, was, that was, was a great inclusion. <laughs> it was. It was. And um, that it was tw- it was 10 minutes long. And so Paris is like, uh, how long is this introduction? Okay, can we skip to the first chapter? <laughs> so this is actually a good question. Do you all actually, go, when, when you all do audiobooks, you're reading a book, do you all read the author's introduction or do you all just go straight to the first chapter? I, I usually read it. Uh, I will say that if you're uh, wait, if you're if you're reading Parable of the Sower, I don't recommend reading N.K. Jemisin's introduction to that before reading the book because she spoils something that happens. I think in the second book, uh, in the in the middle of that. But uh, for the most part, I do like reading the introductions. <laughs> <laughs> I like terrible. reading him, but sometimes they become like you know letters from that Ken Burns documentary about the Civil War. <laughs> I would like to thank dearest Martha for waiting for me as I wrote this book. My children, Shelby and Tommy, were the most (laughs) delectable, delightful children in my life. And they brought me so much joy as I was writing pages 100 to 130. Tommy did have some problems in pages 200 to 200. You know, it just goes on and on and on and on. And you're like, oh my God, please come I like it when they do that part at the end. Like they have an introduction that's... Yeah, now that you actually care about the acknowledgements, yeah, yeah, (laughs) because I'm I'm interested in reading the acknowledgements after I've read the book because I'm like, oh, I want to see what went into this, you know, (laughs) right, right. Um, well, moving back to to talking about the episode, so essentially, now for the next so many um scenes, it's basically different people from Voyager stepping into the starship (laughs) vortex. Which is so funny and discovering they're like doppelgangers and you know we we have Paris taking a turn and then Torres, Neelix, Kim and Janeway. Uh, I just I absolutely loved every one of those scenes. Those scenes for me as maybe this is me just reverting back to the the like 15 year old me that watched this the first time were just so hilarious. Like when Captain Jenkins just like shoots a patient. It's it's hilarious. It's like I can't treat treat him. I'm treating this other patient. 
is like, <laughs> or he'll die. He is dead. <laughs> but you know, I, the, I, like, yes. Cause you, and also you're watching it and it's like, how much of this, like, does the doctor really, like, how much does he think of his coworkers or his, what do you call them? Yeah. Colleagues. I don't know. Yeah. Colleagues. Um, uh, but I, one of the things that I really notice, I mean, like you notice everyone kind of getting a little incredulous at the, at a certain point, except for Neelix. Neelix didn't really seem to have that. Neelix had a, had a more, uh, maybe a healthier way of looking at it than the rest of them. But Janeway looked so sad. I don't know if you all noticed that, but she just looked really sad when she stepped into the role and was doing that. And then by the end of it, she was pissed. But, um, but I think like I could see just the way Kate Mulgrew played it. You could see that the wheels were turning. Like how have we, how is he feeling on this ship? And, and what have we done to contribute to him feeling this way? And, I just kind of saw that happening behind the eyes. I think this is actually a better vehicle maybe to talk about these early scenes, which is, I think that there is, and this was the first time watching it, I think, as an adult for me, who's got more social consciousness, that I think that there's a really poignant message here, which is that this is... We have seen this play out over the last five years over and over again. Somebody from a underrepresented group coming up and saying, this is how I see the world. And people be like, what? No, no, that's not how you, the world is. And then someone be like, here, I filmed it for you on yeah, the camera. Yeah. And and we have had to peek into the lives of, and this is actually from, from the standpoint of like, um, what the holodeck allows you to do. It actually allows you to step into people's lives in a way that we as human beings right now today cannot. And I, I thought that that was really poignant. And I thought it was it was actually well before its time, this like way, and I think it's dealt with in a more humorous touch perhaps mm -hmm. than maybe a like you know a very special episode of Star Trek might have been. Yeah, but yeah. I actually thought that was that was kind of nice. Well, yeah. So I I I like that aspects of of it, and I um I think I'll, I'll get in. I think this makes sense for me to get into the what the first thing that bothers me about this episode, uh, and that is uh, Janeway's response uh, that like in the conversation that they have in the in the ready room, uh, Janeway says something along the lines of, um, "If I didn't know any better, I'd say this was written by someone who feels oppressed. Is that how you feel, Doctor?" And the the tone in her voice to me feels so much like it's a. Um, like it feels like the one part of this episode that really does not age well because it, it's uh, it's it feels like we're supposed to be on Janeway's side uh, in that conversation or or maybe it's just because of Janeway's role. I just I, I I always like when I'm watching Voyager most of the time I'm like yes Janeway has the right idea she really does need to sleep though it's you shouldn't drink, just drink coffee but <laughs> like the it, it it's. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It it feels like the writers couldn't comprehend that someone uh, who's as you said, like it's like in a marginalized or equity seeking group is like that they might have a different experience of the world uh, than other people, and that they they have to deal with like these constant uh, uh, people belittling their their either their appearance or like who they are or uh, their role, uh, and I I I don't know. It it, it felt. It, it felt really jarring for me in a way that uh, I, I I don't know I, I I think this used to be one of my favorite episodes of Star of Voyager maybe Star Trek in general part of because it was like a lot of fun and I love the Doctor and and stuff like that but it just I uh, that was that moment was hard for me to to just deal with um, well, and felt very much like a, a '90s writers versus 2021. Well, and I feel like it was. Like, I found that to be jarring because of how Kate Mulgrew played her scene going through the yeah. holodeck program. Because she played it as someone who was having her eyes open to the fact that a member of her crew actually was feeling oppressed. Like, that's, yes. I felt like that's how she was experiencing it. So then for her to go in, in the ready room be like, Doctor, are you feeling oppressed or something? You know, like the way she yeah. said it seemed to be more dismissive. And I don't know why the doctor didn't say, actually, yes. Yes, yeah. I do feel a, a bit oppressed. You know, you all don't quite recognize um, the, the ways you talk to me or the comments you make in front of me or anyway, the microaggressions. Yeah, I, 
I have a different take on this, and this is good, right? I, I yeah. am. Before I start saying this, like I just want to say, I'm really glad we have an episode where we are expressing different points of view very passionately. So let's keep doing that. But um, I think my reaction to this was that this happens. This this is actually the. You know, when you think about like someone pointing out that, hey, my experience in this company for the last two years hasn't been entirely positive. The boss typically does like, you know, there's always people out there who are very enlightened and, and come into yeah. that with like, this is great. But there are a lot of people like, what? You've been unhappy. Don't come on, Johnson. You can't have been experiencing these things. I know all these people. They're wonderful. Everything is great. And and there is. So I feel like that defensiveness is actually a very human quality. And yeah. I think it comes up against what you want to see from our ear captain, whether you want your captain to be the person who immediately picks up on the poignant, important point and becomes somebody who guides other crew people who maybe are lesser, um, who have a lesser understanding of that issue, or whether you want your captain to display those same things. And I think for me... yeah. It was kind of like, I, I I took that as her not getting the point right away. That her initial reaction was very much one of, oh man, like this is, I don't like that the it ends with me deleting, like taking it very personally and being out. And this happens to all to me all the time. Like I'm, I'm going to just be honest with you all. Like the red mist covers my eyes sometimes and it takes me a second to be like, wait, you need to move past your emotional reaction to understand what this other person is telling you. And 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 then that that's why that initial reaction, she hasn't got there yet. And so that's how I read that scene. But I again, I think you're right, Adam, in that I think that the fact that it is dealt with as a humorous episode could hide some of that, maybe. And I, I think that that could... You're not sure. Like, is the humor in the fact that the doctor is making fun of all of his friends? Uh, and so is that is that meant to be like that he is... The doctor's wrong because it's treated humorously? Or is it that it's just a humorous way to present this very serious issue, if that makes sense? Yeah. So I, 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 I can see that confusing matters. Yeah, I, I I can see your point about that. I I think my my remaining quibble, even with that, is sort of um, if that if that is us displaying that Janeway's not like yet on on the doctor's side in terms of like being able to understand his perspective or whatnot. I I just, but the thing is, I don't I don't know that we ever take the captain further along. It's it, then everyone mm -hmm. uh, gets on the doctor's side of like, yes, you should be able to delete your book that we hate. Uh, and like that's where where we're like we're into uh, supporting the doctor, but it's not in the like like there's not a point where um, where someone actually thinks about like I, I, I maybe Paris gets the closest to this where where it's sort of like hey doctor how do you feel when uh, I'm like uh, sort of showing you kind of what you're doing to me like th th there's a, a that it seems like a way, uh, and and I guess Neelix also like they're both better at um, getting the doctor to feel what other people might be feeling in this situation. But I don't know that we really get into acknowledging that like the doctor, people are shitty to the doctor. Like uh, we we just watched the uh, uh, the caretaker, yeah, caretaker, and like pe people talk to him, uh, talk about him like he's an inanimate object, and. Uh, are leaving him on and uh, all sorts of stuff. And it's, uh, the, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like it's a, that, and maybe it's just a problem of the episodes trying to do too many things. Like it's like, we don't want to get into very special episode territory. We are trying to have a funny episode, but we still have these like, yeah. uh, punches happening. And it's just, I, I don't know. It, it, it feels, uh, tonally, uh, it's just not, not where I would want it to go. I think. So I feel like we're totally jumping to like the kinds of conversations we would have at the end of the podcast, but Hey, you know, whatever, let's do this backwards. Let's just do so, it. So, <laughs> um, cause what, when you were talking and actually this kind of touches on what Notch was saying, uh, that, that this episode is so true though, because the other thing that really is brought out in this is yes, the, so many people treated the doctor this way at the beginning, but we mm. have also see the his colleagues change the way they interact with him and start to accept that he has um a will of his own and mm -hmm. and has the ability to grow and you know we i mean i you could see throughout the um 
the holodeck versions that the different characters were experiencing, you could see, oh yeah, this is from this episode. This is from this episode, you know, cause they were like, doctor, we don't have, like he was, he started to break down because he added so many different subroutines to his program. And so uh, there's an episode where he started to lose his memory or I, I can't remember what it was, oh, but yeah. it was because the uh, matrix couldn't handle all mm-hmm. of the accommodate, all of the additions that he'd made to it. And so they did have to delete his program and reboot it essentially. Um, and so there was that moment of, Oh my gosh, are we really going to be losing the doctor the way he is? But then you have that hint towards at the end when he starts singing like, Oh no, there, he's still there. He'll come back, you know? But um, so, so you could see where actual experiences informed what he was writing. But as the people who are going through and experiencing the story, they may be like, well, yeah, at first we might have treated you like you were an inanimate object, yeah. but we don't treat you like that anymore. Why are you still harping on this? You know, why are you still mm. talking about what happened so many years ago and not recognizing how much we've changed and how much we've advanced as a society and, and we've passed the Voting Rights Act. So you all have the same uh, <laughs> rights and privileges yeah. that everyone else, you know. So I think that that was a kind of in this little microcosm of an episode, it managed to do all of that. So um, I think the thing that... Uh, really shows that very specifically is the scene the, the not the scene the lines about the mobile emitter where jane is <laughs> like the mobile emitter liberates you she uses the word liberation uh liberates which is you know, yeah uh and and he's like no it's a reminder of who i am and and it is it is you know like the second i mean we've seen it in voyager like someone like whacks it off him and then suddenly he just disappears yeah and i th- i think the inclusion of that, and specifically it being in this massive backpack, <laughs> huge backpack in the holo program, is is the I think that's the sign to me of what the writers were thinking, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And so, and and again, the way that it is dealt with is very. I mean, those are conversations I feel like I've had where where people, you know, they 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 say like, what do you, what do you mean, like you know, like. Like you were saying, Emily, with the Voting Rights Act, or like, uh, or we allow you to do all of these wonderful things. Isn't that great? Doesn't that make us wonderful? You know, and, and yeah, it's you like, allow wait. us. <laughs> Do you hear what you're saying? And, and and so it was one of those moments. And so, but again, I think I think there there are multiple ways that you could perceive this, and I think it is a, I I. In some ways, I, I like that we are able to have a conversation in this way. And I wonder if we were having this podcast maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, if we'd be discussing this episode in the same way. And that makes me feel good that we are, that we're able oh, to. Yeah. Um, so now, but I, okay, I, before we go to the break here, we got to talk about some of the funny stuff in that hollow novel because it's hilarious. <laughs> Lieutenant Tulak. <laughs> Lieutenant Marseille. <laughs> Lieutenant Marseille is hilarious. Well, also, <laughs> Lieutenant Marseille is is literally uh, just Tom Paris in season one. Like, yes, he, he is, absolutely. He has not changed. That like that that is literally what he was. Totally. Ah, <laughs> uh, it is. It is. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He's just a lecherous uh, fool. Well, and, and it's so funny when uh, the doctor, like when later Tom is like, "Is that what you think of me?" And his response isn't, no, I, I think you're responsible and I think you are hard. His response is, well, you're a married man with a child on the way. And I want to say, yeah, 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 that doesn't negate any of the things that you just said about him. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Seriously. I, I, I appreciated that, that, that Tom Paris got called out in such a big way. Yeah. <laughs> Also, the like small visual changes, like Chakoti being bajorn with a massive <laughs> the turtle. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, and then you know, it's it's just I I I really appreciated the, and I bet it was fun for the actors to play their characters kind of like that. And I, they did this in Living Witness, right? Like another episode mm-hmm. of Voyager where the characters play like remixed versions of themselves. That was a very serious, poignant episode, or at least the way their recreations were shown. Whereas here, it's kind of shown as this like hilarious slapstick, which I did. I did enjoy that very much. Um, was Neelix? I was trying to remember if Neelix was portrayed. He's not really in the. Ep- That's why Neelix didn't have a problem with it. 
Ah, maybe I'm yeah. just because I catch. there was you know there was no he wasn't lampooning Neelix at any point. So that's interesting. The only other person, well, not the only other seven of nine is Borg, and there aren't any other Borg, and we don't know if there are other species that only have one person. But the but the only other the Delta uh, the only Delta quadrant alien member yeah. of the cast remaining <clears throat> is the one who doesn't get kind of messed around and neelix i mean for all of his faults as a as like or annoying characteristics for us as the viewers he's always been somebody who's been very accepting for the most part Mm -hmm. of difference and change and cultural Mm -hmm. he's He's always like oh check out this cool food from this other planet uh and and so that's a really good catch actually and that's i i think i don't know if that was intentional from the writers but if it was it was really subtle and i kind of like it now thinking about it but um Mm -hmm. What about Barris's remix of the Doctor's Bro? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> yeah, especially the the name was was absolutely perfect. The Starship Voyeur. Voyeur. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, but it's, I, that was the thing, like my strange new take, like that's what I just found so interesting that the doctor just had no clue. And also there were so many things about that the doctor said that were very telling about how he feels regarding his position on the ship, because he also, he didn't, they said, don't you care about what your friends think? And he just kept referring to them as his colleagues and not his friends. Like, so, so you could, you just get this feeling that he didn't have, like, they kind of saw him as a colleague and friend, but he didn't seem to experience them that same way, or at least Mm -hmm. that's not the way his language, um, indicated or what his language indicated. So I thought that was pretty interesting too, that it took that long and Paris doing something so over the top to finally bring it home. Like now can you see why maybe this hurt our feelings, you know? Because we don't like that you see us this way. I mean, there is also... You touched on something else that, like, I have experienced as a person who is in a minority group here. Sometimes when I meet other people who talk to me about, about that experience... There are some folks, and this is, you know, it's happened in my life where someone's been like, these people aren't your friends. They don't care about you. Like, you know, your people care about you. And those feelings come from very complex places for these individuals. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be like, they're just idiots or whatever. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know what created those feelings for the people who mentioned them. But And this started, like, right when I was, like, first in this country in college, you know, like, talking to some other international students. And... Uh, about the folks who are Americans and it's very confusing and there is this question of like integration within the culture that you're in versus maintaining your unique identity where do the lines between that how do you participate in your own ethnic group and allow them to feel like you're you know like you're not like leaving them behind or whatever and and how do you also integrate in the new school there's like really complex stuff there and so I think Emily again I didn't pick up on this explicitly i think there was tingling at the back of my mind as i was watching like especially that question of the friends thing but when you pointed it out like that that's i i don't know how mike sussman and and um the other writer phyllis yeah. uh strong how they were able to pick up on that stuff or whether mm-hmm. it was explicit or not but it is something that's come up before i feel like in my mm-hmm. life at least explicitly so that's ah wow that's heavy that is heavy well, and something else that just jumps out at me as I'm listening to you talk as well. Um, so, like, I think about the conversations where a person is confronted with their privilege and their prejudice, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an uncomfortable feeling. People don't like being confronted with that. And so their response is a very defensive response. Um, and and that is what his crew, his fellow crew members, they did respond defensively. Um, but at the same time, and so, so if this episode had been made today, perhaps they would have leaned into that a little bit where it -hmm. wouldn't be like, let's like think, let's get all up in your feelings. Like, no, this is about how I feel and how you all, your behavior has made me feel as a different type of being on this ship. But because the doctor doesn't, 
he's trying to absolve himself of making these characters like them. They can't really have that conversation because he right. tries to, oh, he's mm. like, Oh no, but it's not you. I mean, yes, I used, I used your physical parameters as a starting point, but clearly these, these are not you. Like these are different characters and, and no one's going to think that, that these are actually the members of the Voyager crew. Whereas everyone who watches it thinks that these are the members of the Voyager crew. Right. Mm. Um, but so the doctor's kind of trying to, uh, absolve himself of some responsibility here as well. Whereas I kind of feel it would have been interesting if he had leaned into that and said, well, yeah, it comes from some kernel of truth. So maybe let's have a conversation about that. Absolutely. And I think also the other side of that too, is that all of this requires communication in the real world difference, navigating difference and navigating people's feelings requires communications. And I feel like sometimes I've been in conversations where um, the folks who I need to convey my feelings to are told that their feelings cannot be expressed. You just have to listen to that and just like, but the point is, if I don't talk about the defensiveness of the person I'm expressing my feelings to, uh, about their feelings as well, we don't get to an understanding. There's one-way communication just doesn't work, regardless of whether it's like values-based, correct, quote-unquote, or morally right, or whatever. If we don't have some sort of discussion, and there you can have a discussion without acknowledging the validity in a moral sense of what's being said. You can just say like, tell me how you feel. I'm not gonna tell you that you're right, but I at least can acknowledge that, okay, these emotions exist in you and that we need to work with them. And I think that's a really important thing about the doctor going into Paris's hollow program and getting to see the other side of things, which is, I mean, I don't want to be like that invalidates everything that the doctor's saying because it clearly doesn't. But I feel like it is, again, the doctor getting to acknowledge, okay, your friends' feelings are hurt. And that's something that, you know, if you're talking about your oppression and you're like, having this conversation around it, you're going to have to make that a part of the discussion because if you don't, uh, you're leaving a critical part of the back and forth communication out of it and that's going to be less productive for you. So um, that's that's, a, that's another, I feel like, really interesting thing. So I feel like there's a lot of like cool little angles about those mm -hmm. holoprograms going back and forth. Um, talking again just on the lighter side of it, I just love... That the doctor shows up with a comb over and he's this hilarious golf playing guy who just thinks he's the funniest man on the planet. <laughs> that she's like, it hurts when I do this. He's like, don't do it. And he whacks the part where she's like, there's pain here. Yeah. It's just, oh my God. Oh, uh, it, it's just, I mean, again, and he's portrayed as this lecherous loser who's just like fawning all over uh, Seven of Nine and, and is just incredibly inappropriate and it's it's just i mean again it's it's a mirror right to for mm -hmm. for people to see how they, they're coming across <laughs> and uh yeah. i don't know i i found that interplay between those hollow novels to be kind of it was funny but again that yeah. might be yeah go ahead adam and it it, it actually it, it did make me want to go back and watch some of the uh what I remember being like sweeter romantic episodes between uh, Seven and the Doctor, like maybe it is just creepy, <laughs> but I, I haven't I haven't seen those episodes in a while, <laughs> and so let's uh, uh, maybe Tom has a point here, and I need to go review those. <laughs> well, fifteen year old me thought that someone to watch over me, which is Voyagers, you know, it's it's kind of a bottle episode where the Seven Doctor thing really starts off. I thought it was really like. You know, I was shipping the Doctor and Seven really hard. Oh, but I, I remember too. even yeah, same. E even at even at the time, people on the Trek BBS were like, "This is Pygmalion." You know, the the the, mm. the book from the eighteen hundreds, I think the early nineteen. I can't remember now that um, My Fair Lady is based on as yeah. well, and um, the movie starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman is also based <laughs> on on the same. Um, Which I haven't seen actually. But <clears throat> anyway, go ahead. I was um, going to say Runaway Bride, but. <laughs> <laughs> Different movie. Same actors, so. I guess. Yeah, huh? <laughs> um, but it's 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 essentially this like powerful man recreating this woman who's coming from a less powerful space into mm -hmm. a 
person that they want to love without really consideration of the woman's feelings. And yeah. I remember having like, no, that's not true. It's sweet and it's cute and whatever. And these people be like, oh yeah, it's kind of weird if you really think about it. And um, I don't know. I mean, I have to rewatch someone to watch over me in that context. I haven't watched it in many years now, but I, yeah, Adam, to your point, I think there are definitely episodes that we could go back and revisit. Isn't that this. like the saddest when you have an episode that you loved and then you go back and watch it and you're like, <laughs> oh, oh, this did not hold up the way I can you, imagine it's so sad. Can you just imagine someone being like, oh man, I had this great Voyager episode, we gotta watch it. Like, I remember what Voyager, oh man, and I haven't thought about that in years. So good. Threshold. Let's, let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> And, like that was the best. Like, I remember like so cool and yeah, like twelve year old me really liked it. And, like, like the movie Zoolander. Oh my gosh, that it's is so not one aged well. It's so bad. It's so bad. But we all loved it when it came out. Thought it was so oh, yeah. funny. And, I mean, anyway. there's a bunch of that like hu- like National Lampoon type humor from the early two thousands, late nineties that you go back to now, and it's like whoa. Whoa! Oh my uh, god! Oh yeah, yeah. I, we recently watched like I don't remember what the movie was, but it was a comedy that was like yeah, it was from like two thousand and nine or something. It was like every single joke was about how we were gonna rape somebody, and like, what? Why is this? I, think? I mean, I think a lot of people has brought that up watching Friends, which is that there's a lot of casual homophobia in, in Friends mm. all over the place, and yeah. um, yeah, it's let's just say there's a lot of media. Um, that has kind of it reflects its time in mm-hmm. the popular consciousness of social <laughs> issues at that time and uh, I think as a corollary though I have now come to see this episode as one that kind of transcends its time just a little bit in the conversations I mean I don't know maybe these conversations were being had at that at that time but uh, just personally that that's now where I am um, with that but uh, I'm finding yeah. more layers for sure than I yeah. than I did initially but hey, why don't, we, why don't we take a break over here and then we'll come back and discuss the uh, mini measure of a man. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> the measure what? of the mini man. Wait, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> How many times do you want me to say it? My work is not about the Voyager crew. Come on. Ensign Kimball, Lieutenant Marseille. The characters look almost exactly like us. I used your physical parameters as a starting point. But I assure you, any further similarities are purely coincidental. You set your story on a starship lost in the Delta Quadrant. What would you have me write about? Palace intrigue on the Klingon homeworld? I do what all good novelists do. I write what I know. So it is about Voyager. No. The Vortex characters are larger than life. They're nothing like our crew. As far as I know, Captain, you haven't executed any of my patients. Doctor, you've written a very imaginative story. But it's conceivable that people will think it's based on fact. I don't see how. How many holograms carry mobile emitters? The emitter in my story is nothing like the real one. Yeah, what was the point of that? It was like carrying around a small shuttlecraft. It's a metaphor, a symbol of the burdens that I live with every day. Imagine having to take this everywhere you go. It would be a constant reminder that you're different from everyone else. I wanted the player to feel the weight of it, literally. Your emitter isn't a ball and chain. It liberates you. It doesn't always feel that way. If I didn't know better, I'd think the story was written by someone who feels oppressed. Is that how you see yourself, Doctor? Of course not. The real victims are my brothers in the Alpha Quadrant. Brothers? Hundreds of EMH Mark Ones. Identical to me in every respect, except... they've been condemned to a menial existence. Scrubbing conduits, mining dilithium. There's a long history of writers drawing attention to the plight of the oppressed. The Vedic song, for example, tells the story of the occupation of Bajor. I understand you have your reasons for writing this. But you should consider how it's going to make your friends feel. I'm sorry my work offends you. But if the price of expressing myself is having to suffer the scorn of a few colleagues, so be it. Welcome back to Strange and New Takes. This is the part where Mariner throws down her mic and says, Drumhead! Because <laughs> essentially we have 
a courtroom scene at the end of this uh, end of this thing. And I mean, a lot happens between the Hollow novels. We have the Neelix conversation. We have the Doctor and Paris argument. We've touched on those a little bit. So I don't need to. I don't think we need to beat beat the a dead horse there quite a lot. And but essentially, this becomes measure of a man at the end of the, the episode. It it is literally like they're sitting around the table and deciding whether Data is a human being. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, it just like they they compressed all of a measure in the, of of a man into uh, is it even eleven minutes? I I, yeah, I don't it's pretty short. like it is it is the very last part of the episode and it and it uh, I don't know I I mean I I definitely get that like yeah okay we need to like compress the arguments because it's only eleven minutes each day that we can talk but uh, it's also I don't know it's it's we we bring up like interesting ethical uh, quandaries and like legal discussions that we can have, and then we. But since we only have a couple minutes left, we just can't. We we gloss over all of them, and I I don't know. I I I would have been really interested in a separate episode that was just this because I I think that they have interesting ideas, but then we just we rush through the entire thing, and the judge's conclusion is basically like, no, you're not a person, but you're like kind of an artist, maybe. Uh, and, and it's 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 such a contrast to a measure of a man where uh, the judge is like taking a stand to like okay well I need to actually uh, argue something that is going to be used like throughout history and <laughs> this judge is not at all interested in making any amount of history which I I know is also a valid way of doing it but <laughs> it also seems that. I, I, it just seems like measure of a man is the precedent for why the doctor should absolutely have these rights. Like, I don't see that there is much difference between the doctor and data. Um, yeah. They're both it's... programmed. They're both, you know, they both have done things to expand the original parameters of their programming. They've both like, it just, so it's just kind of astounding to me that, that they don't end up ruling. They don't end up just saying, uh, well, yeah, we already settled this in season two of the Next Generation. Of course, yeah, yes. they, they said, I have this VHS that I'm going to submit as evidence. I'm gonna, you're going to have to watch it over the course of uh, four days, which is a little awkward. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, can you imagine if they had like this eleven minutes? Someone's like, "Wait, can we pause? I need to use the restroom." Like, please. <laughs> well, adjourn for a day so you can pee. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just imagining now Riker going up to the doctor, pulling off the mobile emitter, be like, Pinocchio is broken. Its strings have been cut. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean, remove but, his hollow emitter. Yeah. Right, but, but that's, I mean, that's a tonal shift, right? And that is a little bit stark. This episode goes from being like, ha ha, hilarious, to like, oh, really serious by the yeah. end, and like heartwarming, and, and it tries to balance like the heartwarming stuff and like the really serious stuff, right. and then it just, it, it does, tries to do a lot. Yeah. When and, everyone and I, trying I, to share their opinion, like their experiences of the doctor and why he should be seen as a as a person, and yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and it's it just... I mean, I, I guess I, I, I get maybe it's more realistic that the the result of the trial is like kind of unsatisfying of just like, OK, you're allowed to re, to like enter or break this uh, this specific agreement because you're an artist. Um, mm -hmm. But because like in reality, law does not like just do these sweeping changes that like cha reverse everything from the past 200 years or whatever. But um I don't know. It's just such an unsatisfying ending to this. It, it is such a cop out to be like, yeah, okay, we're gonna like, we're gonna we're gonna give this episode a bow, and we're gonna make and let everybody feel happy about what happened here instead of like making it a very complicated kind of ending where the doctor doesn't get what he wants. And yeah, it, it's weird because there's also that weird coda at the end, tacked on of like the dilithium mining colony or whatever it was, where then we see all these holograms being oppressed. Uh, at the end and get them like being kind of inspired by the doctor yeah and... i also love like oh go ahead adam <laughs> i mean part of it's like i i just i feel like even that scene is a little bit ridiculous because it like they're like uh using this little tiny pick like i don't understand what they're mining that uh it makes it more efficient to like just give these holograms like hand tools I, I mean, I, I guess exocomps are people, and so 
uh, they there are no robots that can be used by the Federation anymore, so they have to enslave all of the Mark One doctors. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of one of those. Uh, I guess I mean the Federation wasn't there though, right? Like the Federation was treating these holograms as like single use, like they show up and go away. And I mean that's how holodeck characters are treated, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so I don't find it that hard to believe that someone would be like, yeah, we could just. Psh- just turn them on, leave them, leave them to do that stuff. But it is, it is, uh, it is kind of extra. Let's put it that way. Oh, I was going to say, now you just have me thinking about how gross it is the way holograms are probably used. Um, yeah. holodeck programs. And you, I mean, like, and then what's the line between when one is sentient and one is not. And I mean, I started thinking of, um, was yeah. it Vic Fontaine, right? In um, let's do that episode next. How about that? We should, we should, because that's because I mean he's totally sentient, and uh, and recognizes that he's a hologram, and anyway, and it's very interesting, but um, but yeah, you just start wondering what. Um, wow, maybe we is... shouldn't have holodecks anymore. <laughs> well, have you all watched Altered Carbon on Netflix? Yeah, oh, I haven't. I mean, it's not quite a one-to-one, like, dealing with that, but it is a very, like, it is gruesome. It is very troubling. I'm not going to spoil what I'm what it's about because you find out this stuff at the very end of the first season. But it kind of deals with some of what we're talking about mm-hmm. here, which I hadn't thought about until this. But I, hadn't put, I mean, I thought about, like, the Doctor's, mm-hmm. like, holodeck personality, but I hadn't thought about, like, okay, all those Robin Hood characters who are just getting murdered by Robin Hood every week and... You know, there's more troubling things that we can talk, graphic things that we can talk about here. Like, do they remember that that's happened? And, you know, I, I think it does bring up some really troubling questions, Emily, that you've just, you've just brought the subject on. I think Altered Carbon does deal with some of them in a, in a very, in a very different way, but in a very, it, it is, it asks some of the very same questions. And like, it, I think it's, it's like, it comes in at a point that's like three steps ahead of these questions. So the the, mm-hmm. the humans in Altered Carbon deal with some of those questions and then we see the repercussions of what they've done um, because of the choices that they've made in response. So, mm. um, but it is, it, that show, I mean, Adam, I don't know. It, it's not for everybody. Yeah, it's it's definitely one that uh, I, I would totally understand if someone turned on that show and then just uh, watched an episode and was like, nope, <laughs> and turned it back, back off. But I wonder if that would be me. <laughs> I, <would do> <laughs> I, I feel like this must be my job in life is to like go and <laughs> bring out the dark side of something and I don't even mean to. It's like at church, people are like, Emily, can't you just enjoy something? <laughs> like, well, you know. We just call our podcast Emily Ruins Star Trek. Exactly. It's like last week I preached on the 4th of July and how that can be troubling as people of faith. And I'm like, and I'm sure all of you are sitting there going, Emily, can't you just celebrate something for once? (laughs) Instead of pointing out all the potential problems. (laughs) Well, but I mean, I I think that there's a point in discussing some i mean look my appreciation of author author has honestly increased quite significantly since we started talking about this episode so i think that there is something good about that however i also think that there's a point to some people who are i mean there's a difference also between talking about some of these questions of like how star trek relates to troubling things in real life versus just being like i hate trek because it's not tos or like kirk shouldn't be doing that or in episode 43 of season two of tng picard does something that clearly contradicts the way he wears his wristwatch in this movie you know like there's like differences there i feel like and so i i appreciate these conversations i really do uh Mm -hmm. personally i i immensely i say that at the end of every episode i really do mean it um but getting getting just to Another plot point. Well, do we have anything more to say about Mini Measure of Man at the end of this episode, or should we move on to talking about the family stuff? I just want to give a shout out. That's an excellent uh, uh, set title of this little section of the podcast. So uh, good job to you for, <laughs> for writing Mini Measure of a Man. I just I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I have I have stuff to say about. Fa- I think the family stuff is interesting too. So that would be. I'm I'm game for us moving to that point. Go go ahead. Oh, well, I, so, I mean, one of the things you also see, um, 
So the, it takes the doctor the entire episode to start to understand why his friends and colleagues might be somewhat troubled by what happens in um, his hollow novel. Just like it takes seven of nine, the whole episode to mm-hmm. start to understand the impact of these conversations that people are having with their family members or their friends. Um, you know, so I think that's why they end up capping the episode with the conversation between um, seven and her aunt. But really, I can't remember who mentioned it. I think it was you, Notch. Um, mm-hmm. the, the most poignant one is Torres with her father. Mm-hmm. And this was something that I was thinking as I was watching the episode. Um, while, so, so um, you know, we were talking last week with um, Discovery. Uh, because of the format that Discovery is, you really do see huge character arcs and character growth is happening in that show. Cause I mean, that's just the way the show is constructed. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't see that hardly at all in TOS or in um, the next generation. There really are not character arcs. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe slight, but, but there's really not a huge difference. It's more, it's more color or right, right, right. Or (laughs) or it's it's more, it's more a feeling of the actors kind of coming into their own and really owning the characters and that's more why you see changes in the characters mm-hmm. over the series. Um, Deep Space Nine has more character development. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it because of the way it, it is was created and the way they told stories. But Voyager went back to telling stories the way they did in TNG, except they do have character development and character arcs that happen in Voyager. Um, as I was watching this, now I can't remember if this if this episode happens before or after. But there's that episode with Torres where she is trying to genetically alter her child because she finds out her baby's going to yeah. have the forehead ridges like she has. Um, oh, yeah. And it takes her on this whole thing with her father. Um, and she like is reliving all of these memories and the trauma that she experienced because she believed her father left she and her mother because they were Klingon. And so mm-hmm. having her daughter look part Klingon uh, Torres is just she's so, she's really reliving that trauma thinking Paris is going to do the same thing that he's going to end up leaving mm. she and her daughter because of them being Klingon and I'm trying to remember if that episode it's, I think that is episode is after isn't it before it, it was is the it 12th before? episode of the seventh season it's uh, called lineage yeah and so so that makes well okay so this is an example though it doesn't actually matter which which order it comes in because mm-hmm. that so seeing this conversation that she has with her father while knowing that that happened mm-hmm. um you know, earlier on in her pregnancy just gives that scene so much more emotion. And, um, anyway, it's just, and and it's, and it's a huge thing for Bolana to have been able to have that conversation with her father. Um, and even if it came after, it's kind of like maybe that, that conversation spurned some of these things and brought up some of that stuff. That's what I couldn't remember. But anyway, I thought that was just really a powerful scene because of knowing the other things that happened with Bolana because of her pregnancy and her concerns and her worries and stuff. Yeah, and and I, and I also appreciate how that scene doesn't resolve it. Like it's like they they're they're all, they're pretty much cut off and and are able to like they're able to finish a sentence, but it's more of a mm-hmm. like okay, I'll write you. Um, mm-hmm. And I uh, I I don't know, especially in like an episodic trek, I, I think that there's usually the the desire to just like wrap things up ni- uh, nicely and neatly uh, and it's I, I I it it felt like that like the writers got something uh, correct there where we're, we're just like no relationships take way more investment way more time to actually change mm-hmm. uh, so I, I I did like that about it mm-hmm. yeah and I think it, it, I appreciated also the Kim and his parents conversation in a smaller mm-hmm. way um, because it's you know, we hear about his mom in the first season in Caretaker and, yeah. and just actually have these two loving parents talking about their son and they're like, I'll write to the captain. It's adorable. It's it's yeah. like, I, I really... Also, by the way, Kimball, someone joking, was it like Kimball joking? Like, have you been promoted or something? Like, yeah. there was, there was oh, yeah. a promotion joke there. Uh <laughs> Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. Tulak was was questioning Kim's like authority to like question what's going to happen to the doctor in the hollow novel. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but I I appreciated that one one quick point there. This episode is filled with some really prolific guest actors who I want to just shout out. 
Richard Hurd, clearly he passed away last year, is a, is a major television actor. Uh, he played Owen Paris, the Admiral. Uh, Barry Gordon, who plays the Bolian, has done a lot of work. Uh, Joseph Campanella has been in a lot of movies. Uh, the, uh, he's the guy who plays the, the Arbiter <laughs> at the trial. Um, you have the Robert Ito and Irene Sue, who are the two parents of Harry Kim. They've done a lot of work. Robert Ito, for example, was in, in the movie Midway. About the World War Two Battle of the Midway, mm. uh, pivotal mm. World War Two film. I mean, Irene Sue has also done a lot of TV work, continues to, and then the two lesser-known guest actors, Lorraine Vozov, who played um, Seven's aunt, and then Juan Garcia, who plays John Torres. Uh, but they've also done a bunch of work. They're mm-hmm. not inexperienced actors. Let's put it this way. So this acting-wise, this episode is like a heavyweight episode um, when when you look at the guest cast. Mm-hmm. I I thought the, the the scene with Seven and her aunt was also surprisingly touching for me. Mm. To see her yeah. finding out, like, oh yeah, some of these things that I I do are because that's how I was as a child. There's more to me than the Borg, like the yeah. strawberries. Yeah, and it's it's also interesting that because um, she she was at least for like a normal kid, you you should have some memories of when you were six or whatnot, but like the like getting assimilated was such a traumatic experience that she doesn't she doesn't have access to like what she was before mm-hmm. she was bored and it's mm-hmm. um i just uh yeah it, i i i it was kind of touching how we're if uh you see you see the trauma that she some of the trauma that she's been through um and even to the level of like she's like that must have been inconvenient for you maybe i shouldn't have called right uh, and i just yeah. um yeah, that that was a really nice character moment for Seven. When I was thinking how it's it was kind of sad because uh she was approaching it from a I think she was expecting rejection. And mm-hmm. so that's how yeah. she was that was how she was interpreting every single thing her aunt said yeah. and her aunt didn't mean it that way at all and her aunt did a good job I think of kind of like assuaging that like oh no, you know, like Anyway, but it was just, so that's just, that was just sad, like, that she interpreted everything as being, oh, I must have been a trouble or a burden or, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that's, I, I was telling you that as a fun memory. Like, I was fond yeah. of that. It was weird that Seven was also just listening into all the conversations. <laughs> <laughs> the Starship Voyeur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, uh, any other final items that we want to discuss about this episode before we move on to our ratings uh i i one one just quick thing i like how golf clubs now have ridges on them it's just really weird <laughs> he like pulls out this weird futuristic golf club uh it, i don't it's think like future silverware well. yeah exactly Space fork. <laughs> pretty much um well let's take our next out and give this episode a rating. So, which of you has a strange new rating for author? Author. Oh, I <laughs> just do it. It's do okay. It, do it. Do it. It's okay. It's, you, you, yeah. you have a task here. It, it's it, it's it's bizarre because the, this episode, like I, as you've been hearing from me this whole time, there are a lot of things that I really like about this episode and I, that I think are hilarious and are great. But it just I. Uh, for me, it didn't feel like it, uh, like it aged well in a way that, it, which is funny because it's like almost the same reason that Notch thinks it did age well. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, this has been a great conversation, but I think I'm going to put this one as a six, uh, and uh, that's just where where we're going to go. I I just I like it less with each rewatching. I I watched it uh, about a. Uh, a couple months ago, right after we watched Measure of a Man, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that other one that's that's <laughs> just as great of an episode. Uh, and it's also got some really interesting legal stuff. No, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is just revenge for me giving uh, yeah, last week's episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, uh, a six. And I you gave it, it a ten. And I'm going to give this one a ten, actually, because that's how I felt about it. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I all the reasons, I, I think this touches some nerves for me. I think it's um, it's enjoyable. I'm a huge Doctor fan. And I just enjoy how the funny parts i think that there are some issues i could probably find with the pacing and how deep some of the conversations so i'm sympathetic to that 
but I think because of the issues that it handles and how rarely I see them handled like this, I think it's a 10 for me. I'm going to split the difference and I'm going to give it a four out of five, which would be an eight. But um, I just had a good time watching this episode and this conversation has been great. I've really enjoyed the conversation and the mm-hmm. things we've been able to kind of suss out of the episode as we've gone on with this podcast. So, um, yeah. Well, dear listener, next week we're going to talk about, uh, is it is it called It's a Paper Moon? Uh, what's, that, what's that episode of Deep Space Nine? Um, called here i'm gonna look this up real quick it's not a paper moon it's it's only a paper it's (laughs) It's only a paper moon we're so close (laughs) all the combinations (laughs) it's it's only a paper moon which is also from the seventh season of ds9 it's the 10th episode watch that before next week's um podcast i watched this just about two two or three months ago and i am extraordinarily looking forward to our conversation about this it is i feel like only is a huge shift from what we did this week so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, with that, also by the way, we haven't forgotten that we promised to review Wonderlands. We will uh, do that uh, at another time because uh, this week a few of the people who've read the book couldn't make it, so obviously we we, we can't do that right right this second. But uh, stay tuned for our our review of that. So if you're reading that book, you can read a little bit more slow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, as always, thank you, Emily, and thank you, Adam. I truly love talking Star Trek with, with each of you uh, for an hour every week. It's it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, yes, thanks, thanks for making this a place for us to join. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Rudy, Dinah, and Max, wherever y'all are, whatever y'all are doing. I hope it's going well. Thank you, dear listener, also for joining us. Uh, do appreciate you making time for us each week. Thank you, Jishnu Gua, for recording our theme music. We appreciate... Um, the fact that you put in some time to strum away the Klingon theme for us. And finally, uh, special thanks to the Pathfinder project. You know, without without Pathfinder, we would not have any of this stuff. I guess I should be thanking Barkley, but who thinks about Barkley? Everybody ignores Barkley, so I will too. Special thanks to the Pathfinder project for connecting Voyager to Earth. All right, everybody, have a great rest of your week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.